You can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy discussing movies and related media. And after a few special episodes and uh, a short break while I play catch-up, um, we are actually finally back to our normal Movie Heaven, Movie Hell program format, aren't we? We are, <laughs> yes. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's um what with Keith being on holiday and myself starting a new job and everything it's uh yeah it's 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 been finding the time to sort of uh to do our homework and uh you know prepare for for this episode but uh, we're here and uh, <laughs> uh, and we're going to talk about uh our pick for H which is Peter Hyams. Yes. An interesting director, again, another one from that sort of old school uh, of directors born in 1943. So I remember definitely knowing this guy's films, um, which are quite varied uh, whilst growing up, you know, that, that home video era, as we call it. Um, and I, I always used to, funny enough, I always used to get him confused with Peter Yates. Okay. Just because I could never figure out which Peter it was that did that particular film. Um, obviously, we've talked about Peter Yates previously, but mm. uh, Peter Hyams, I guess, uh, the thing that kind of makes him unique is the fact that he is one of very few directors that um, that work in the mainstream that is also his own cinematographer as well as director. and um, And that, you know might not necessarily be unusual in the independent film uh arena but it is it is slightly more unusual in the uh in the school of filming that he comes from isn't it oh yeah well the thing with over in america is that um he uh, over in america it's very unionized it's less so over here and so every job has to have a person above the line below the line um uh, things like um the AC can handle the camera, but the grip must handle the tripod. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, just things like that where over here, the, the AC would just grab them both and, you know, but they have a union and they have, you know, they have to... And they have, have rules. Jobs. They have a lot Absolutely. of rules. But he seems to have bypassed those. <laughs> he career. has. I mean, he's <laughs> he is one of the rare directors who, uh, in that environment, can be a cinematographer. 
I mean, he was the first uh, film director to be admitted into the Cinematographers Union. Um, but I also, I've also believed that he was also uh, rejected by the ASC. So, <laughs> ah, okay, fair enough. But that um, was, but that was the. Th- this is the thing. What sort of kind of drew me to him was that um, when DVDs came along, and one of the first films I I actually bought on DVD was 2010. It was like, you know, one of the first kind of batch I got. And there was a documentary about the making of it. And just to see him being his own cinematographer and doing lighting and, you know, being behind the camera, that's quite, you know, quite amazing to me. Because, again, you you think of it as being, there being a director, there being the actors, and there's, you know, cinematographer and all the other, you know, different heads of department and crew. And you don't think that, well, actually, one person could actually do the job or two, you know, and do it quite well. Because, I mean, his films, um, they, they, there's no lack of uh, quality to them. They all look good and they all look kind of different. And, you know, depending on what story you're shooting, I mean, yeah. 2010 looks, looks great. And I have to say, the, a lot of the effects in 2010 still hold up. They look really good. Yeah, no, I agree, and and obviously quite quite a difficult act to follow in terms of you know Kubrick's <laughs> two thousand and one, but um, but yeah, I mean the, the the thing with this guy Peter Hyams, it, it might not be a name um, that listeners are as familiar with uh, as some of the ones we've covered, and definitely um, he's not like a sort of Terry Gilliam or Tim Burton where he has a a unique. Uh, look and feel to his particular films um but uh he is one of those directors that that, that's worked across a a load of different genres and different types of film and you know it's had a fairly consistent career um across them so yeah i think he is interesting to talk about he is of course also a screenwriter um writes a lot of his material and is as written for other people as well. I know he was involved in the scripting for uh, Steve McQueen's very last film, The Hunter, where he where he played the you know the bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, I know uh, you know he was involved in the writing of that, um, as well as many of his own films. Uh, he's written as well as directed and, and lit. So <laughs> you know um, he deserves some some kudos and some mention. Hence why he's entered our. Uh, our movie heaven hall of fame you know (laughs) (laughs) we have a hall of fame wow i don't know but we're we're talking about him so that's good and he's still with us he's 73 years old um and still fairly active um is he still making making movies i think he is isn't he he well he's still lighting movies for sure yeah well i mean his last credit was um enemies closer which was in 2013 (laughs) uh yes and us yeah, that seems to be his last credit uh, on as IMDb. a director and as a, yeah. a cinematographer. Oh right, because I know I know he works a lot. His son, you know, mm. nepotism in this business. His son John Hyams, who I think has edited a few of his yes, films, yeah. but uh, he's also um, well, he's kind of resurrected the the whole Universal Soldier franchise. I've not seen any of them, but um, he, he he seems to have done that and brought his father on as. Um, as as his cinematographer on those films um i really must when i get some time i guess ha- have have a have a look at those because i do 
I do like the original, actually, which was an early Roland Emmerich film. And um, I didn't kind of mind the original one back in the day. But uh, <laughs> but of course, it's turned into a whole franchise, as these things do. <laughs> well, yeah, just to sort of talk about the Universal Soldier franchise, the the first one is, is kind of like the best one and also had the, the most money put into it. And the, the sequels have kind of got less and less. I mean... Uh, at one point, John Claude Van Damme wasn't in, involved in it at all, and then he came back, and it was. Then you kind of had this sort of split universe, and it's. Uh, I he's. I have watched the first one that came out recently. I think which is the one that um, uh, regeneration, mm-hmm. and it was all right. It was all right, but it was very low budget, and it was very, um, you know. You could tell. They, I mean, they were shooting over. I think in the Ukraine or, east, you know, Eastern Europe somewhere, mm-hmm. and they were just filming in like, uh, you know, derelict factories and stuff like that. So, it, it had kind of had a look, but it it it's, it just felt really cheap. Uh, okay. But I mean, but it's cool that they brought John Claude back and they got Dolph Lundgren in there. And I think they wrecked on the the, the, the various sequels because I think there was a couple of TV movies that followed the first film, and then there was a there was a sequel starring Van Damme, which I remember. I think I did see mm. that, and it was absolutely dreadful. Yes. And I think they've they they kind of ignored the events of that and um, yeah. sort of used this this no. new trilogy as a not really no no uh, oh, okay no yes because I mean the thing is that. Um, at the end of Universal Soldier, spoilers if you've not seen it, <laughs> even though it's what twenty years old now. Oh, more, more, I more. would think. Surely, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh yes, it, yeah, it's um, it's twenty five years now. Oh my lord, scary. <laughs> well, um, at the end of Universal Soldier, uh, John Claude Van Damme's character is reunited with his family and. Looks like he's going to hook up with the uh, the reporter that's been tagging along with him, uh, and then sort of at the beginning of regeneration, he's just a universal soldier again. So, all oh, right, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Well, you, you know, again, um, you know, another another series of, of movies to check out at some point uh, if we ever get round to H again and decide to do John Hyams. <laughs> But, or, or or if we give Roland Emmerich a go, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plen- plenty of movie hells to choose from there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the the thing is, though, with uh, Peter Hyams, he has worked with Jean-Claude Van Damme quite a lot. He has. I mean, yeah. he's done Time Cop with him and Sudden Death and uh, his last film, Enemies Closer. And, uh, you know, and also he's worked with Sean Connery a couple of times. I mean, worked yes. with him on Outland and The Presadio. Yes. Yeah, and he 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 has done all sorts of stuff because, like we said, he's sort of done mm. he's done sequels or, or sort of semi sequels. Um, you, you know, like with with the aforementioned two thousand and ten. Uh, he's done remakes. Um, you know, one one of the films I really enjoy of his actually uh, with Gene Hackman and Anne Archer is um, Narrow Margin, which is actually. Uh, a remake of the sort of classic film noir Fleischer uh, film called The Narrow Margin. Okay. And um, 
uh, it's quite interesting because because you know they're they're very similar but very different. Yeah. And um, uh, oh, just as a bit of side trivia here, um, I actually managed to get hold of the original The Narrow Margin, as I said, the Fleischer film, mm-hmm. and the Region One DVD of it actually has an audio commentary by William Freakin. Okay. I, I thought it's quite cool. I mean, that's kind of like us doing a audio commentary on on Raiders of the Lost Ark or something, you know? Because <laughs> it was obviously, for him, it was one of the films when he grew up that he was, um, you know, very inspired by and a big yeah. fan of. So he, he, he got to, he, obviously, he's famous enough to, to be able to record a commentary for, for a classic <laughs> film. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it was kind of oh. interesting to listen to. But, um, but yeah, so there was, you know, there was Narrow Margin. There was also a film that I hadn't seen until until doing some research on this uh you know i always like a good old michael douglas thriller as i'm always talking about he'd done a remake of beyond a reasonable doubt um which was obviously originally a fritz lang uh movie so um yeah yeah so he's done a few remakes a few originals a sequel he's done some stuff in comedy uh running scared is a really good movie which yeah. uh yeah was almost a consideration for me for for heaven because i think that's a real fun buddy cop movie with uh gregory hines and billy crystal <laughs> it, it is it is a great movie and um it, it's this is the thing a lot of the films i saw of his uh always saw him from the video shop so running scared was one and um the presadio yeah and uh i saw uh stay tuned and time cop at the cinema right okay uh i must admit um uh, at the time i quite enjoyed stay tuned because it was uh it was a piss take of like uh cable tv and stuff mm-hmm. i mean the, the whole idea of um john ritter and the girl from mork and mindy being sucked <laughs> yes. into uh what's called htv which stands for hell tv and um yeah, it was just it was it's a lot of fun and sort of taking the mick out of uh, a lot of shows and TV and stuff on there. And I, mean, I watched it again recently. It's not really held up very well, but uh, no. it's a very nineties film. But it, it's in, it's enjoyable, and I mean the fact as well is it it sort of also has animation in there as well as well as having all these sort of different um, I would say skits on different kind of shows and stuff. No, I mean he's tried a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, he, yeah. You know, he, he's he's gone into the you know the horror realm with things like the Relic. Mm. Um, you, you know, we've talked. Yeah. He's he's done action. He's done thriller. He's done sci-fi. You know, you know, obviously his, his sort of big break, which which was a, a a great film, was was you know the the conspiracy thriller Capricorn One. Um, uh, you know, he worked with Harrison Ford on Hanover Street, sort of just post Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's done loads of loads of stuff. Actually, he's he's had a pretty consistent career, and he is one of those directors that definitely growing up, um, you know, was always kind of aware of his work and always kind of enjoyed most of his films. To yeah. be honest, well, I was working in a cinema when End of Days came out, which uh, was always it was one of those films where it was the the concept was kind of like oh this could be quite good, Arnie versus the devil. <laughs> mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, it wasn't it was actually arnie versus the cabri creams bunny <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he took on the yeah. actress who did the voice for the cadbury cream uh bunny back in the 70s and 80s 
wow. And it was so funny seeing this little round Jewish woman kicking Arnie's ass. I mean, uh, and it was so. And, and what the film was also known for was that uh, Arnie was trying to do serious acting, and his, you know, he was doing that. Uh, I'm in mourning. And the whole thing where he makes like a, a smoothie shake out of like pizza and Pepso Bismo and oh, it just looks disgusting. You just see him just slurping this stuff down. Yeah, I seem to remember that one being pretty bad. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's fair to say, you know, even mm. though he's he's had a consistent run of films, um, he's had some very good films in there, but he yeah. has also had some uh, <laughs> some not 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 so good ones. And I think I think. In choosing both heaven and hell, we, we we've had a few choices on both yes. sides of the fence, yeah. haven't we? With, yes, we with, have. with, with yeah. his career, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he is a very good candidate for movie heaven, movie hell because uh, there was plenty to choose on both sides of the equation. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there was, and it was a difficult choice actually. Um, definitely for choosing heaven was quite hard because mm. there are quite a lot of films, some of which we've already mentioned, yeah. that that I, that I actually think are great films and um, you know definitely des- deserve some discussion. Um, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, we have to pick one. <laughs> mm, exactly. Uh, before we 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 talk about our picks, uh, I just wanted to say to you, actually, that's not a bad idea about us doing a commentary for Raiders would you be up for that yeah well it's, it's funny funny enough um I was actually talking to uh because because I've always I've always found that idea appealing you know mm. anyone who listens to this knows how much I love my uh, commentaries and um uh one of one of my good friends Paul um Paul Dunn who who uh we've mentioned before on the website he 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 has a v- various podcasts going on, and um, he's w- one of the things they're looking to do is actually um, audio commentaries on 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 classic movies. So yeah. uh, you'd literally just sort of record it as a podcast, and you'd say hit play now on your DVD player, and yeah. so so somebody could actually watch it with our waffle, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much of an audience audience there would be for that but i'd certainly enjoy being a uh, participant for sure <laughs> oh, well, we, we'll have to think about doing that because that will certainly be half we have to be in the room together watching the film to do it yeah but yeah, uh absolutely. yeah no but uh but uh, yes there's plenty of other uh podcasts that they they do commentaries um i know the movie crypts with uh adam and joe they do um they do uh movie commentaries uh, quite God. a bit, but then they they sometimes have uh, somebody involved with the making of it there, so which helps. Which yeah, helps. I mean, I I, yeah. I I have problems keeping up with with you know the the, the commentaries that are out there on the um, on the physical media. You know the uh, <laughs> the DVD and Blu-ray ones. Um, that there, there's so many. In fact, um, you know Peter Hyams has actually been quite a good guy for. A lot of his films, not all of them, but a lot of them do actually usually include commentaries by him. And mm. I've listened to a couple and he is pretty, uh, pretty good at commentaries, you know, getting that mixture between production details, interesting stories, the world of the film, you know, and, and sort of balance technical aspects and sort of balancing all those things out. So, um, 
they are always worth a listen if mm. we get time bearing in mind that, 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 that this is a problem there's not enough time to in the world to watch anything let alone listen to commentaries it's like oh dear but out of the commentaries do you listen to which one was your favorite one um well i listened to the most recent one i listened to for him was was the one on outland because uh, they've just released a new uh blu-ray edition um which has included it and that that was actually very interesting so um yeah um and and uh yeah so those those are ones uh, that he, d- he has done one for narrow margin but right. really annoyingly the version that i got even though it was supposed because i got it through cex because uh you know i'm trying to do it on the cheap if you like and uh obviously they had put the wrong version disc into the actual packaging. So even uh, though it says it has a commentary, the actual disc is just a vanilla one, which was kind of annoying. But, yeah. uh, but yeah. I got to watch the movie, which I enjoyed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very annoying. Yes. Uh, well, moving on. Uh, Keith, what is your pick for movie heaven? Well, like I said, it, it was difficult, and uh, we've just been talking about time and, and how we haven't got enough of it. So um, I've gone with a bit of, I guess you could say, a guilty pleasure um, here, but it's sort, of, it's sort of right up my alley, particularly back when it came out and I saw it. And that's from 1994, uh, sci-fi action movie Time Cop, um, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, I have to say, uh, you, you know, obviously I... I grew up in that sort of era of action movies and, you know, we often talk fondly about, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and, you know, Stallone, I actually, I actually uh, have a lot of time for him as a, um, as a, as a, as a screenwriter and a, and a, and a filmmaker as well. I think, you know, I still believe that nowadays, but um, you, you know, you always kind of had that sort of, second tier as well you know the likes of sort of steven seagal and van damme and and one or two others and i i have to admit i I was never a massive jean-claude van damme fan um however i would say i mean we 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 mentioned universal soldier which i thought was good Mm. um but i think time cop for me is probably the best film that, that that he's done in his career um and uh yeah, I, I just thought it is a fun film. Uh, it's interesting to watch today <laughs> in the world we live in now, because obviously <laughs> there were a few um, there were a few predictions they made about the future, which uh, <laughs> which are yes. quite amusing by yeah. today's standards. But, um, can but can it, I just it, say something yeah. before you get into the film? Um, of course, I was was a big John Claude Van Damme fan at the time, and um, this. Uh, Time Cop was kind of like the pinnacle of his career. It was sort of the the peak because I mean he he came up you know with doing um, well. I remember seeing the first film he was in, No Retreat, No Surrender, where he played <laughs> the Russian, <laughs> and he's in it for like five minutes. Right. And he says something like, "I will destroy you," or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, and, I have to admit all yeah. those all those sort of Van Damme and Steven Seagal films, uh, you know, which I obviously watched on video when I was when I was uh, you, you know much younger. Um, they all kind of a lot of them kind of blend into one in my memory. I can't no, really distinguish which, I, I films, may, which. Maybe Steven Seagal because Steven Seagal's 
films were very similar. But with, he always had the ponytail. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> he usually had a gun and would slap people. Uh, yes. but no, John Claude Van Damme's films very different. I mean, Bloodsport was a was a great film, and then Cyborg, which um, <laughs> did you know that Cyborg originally was going to was actually uh, Canon was going to make Masters of the Universe two, and then the money fell out. But they they had made all the props and costumes and they were about to film over uh, i think in thailand and that became cyborg oh wow that's a bit of interesting trivia that i didn't actually know uh, I, i'll admit and i'm ashamed to say is mm. being a sort of again a fan of just as a guilty pleasure but a fan of masters of the universe <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know did, I, and it sort of it, it built up from there. I mean, like films like Hard Target and Universal Soldier, and oh, Double Impact was was a lot of fun. But after Time Cop, you had like Sudden Death, and then it just sort of slipped down. And... He did this Ringo Lamb film set in um, in Europe, uh, which was it called Ma- Maximum Risk or something like that. And I I remember thinking that was quite enjoyable at the time. I, I think there was a point I think sudden sudden death was like I think the point where I kind of was losing interest in in those kind of films it wasn't just mm-hmm. Jean-Claude Van Damme but those kind of films you're having the Stuart Wright moment yeah am I what Stuart talked about on our podcast where he said he became snobby about action movies no <laughs> I, didn't get, I didn't get snobby but it was just <laughs> I think there's there, there comes a point where you know you your tastes change. You want to try. I agree. You, you, you're yeah. introduced to sort of rest of the cinema because when you're a teenager, you know those kind of action films are brilliant. I, I do. You know, I, there's films I still go back and watch. I mean, I, I think Bloodsport is a great film. You know, and I I, I do love going back and watching that. But um, but I did go back and watch JCVD, and I thought he was amazing in that. See, I've not seen that. Oh, okay. it's 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 a great film, and you you know you get to see him do his sort of acting chops, and you know, and he, the guy can actually act. He can, he can certainly play himself. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's, there's different. Ty- I mean, I know we've got slightly off topic here, yeah. but there, there there are there are different types of actor, and um, you, you, you know. He is a, a physical actor. Mm. Um, you, you know, he, he does his own fights, a lot of his own stunts. And as, as many of those sort of guys from that era um, did. And, uh, you, you know, you, uh, yeah, my hat's off to them. I, don't, I certainly don't take anything away from them for that just because they're not, you know, like Shakespearean trained classic actors or whatever doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. They, they just fit into that thing. And I think all of them... Um, you, you know, have had their great films. I mean, e- e- even even Steven Seagal, you know, like Under Siege and Executive Decision, mm. those are two great action movies, in in my opinion, you know. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I love that you picked the one where he gets killed off like a quarter way into the film and it just becomes Kurt Russell's film. Yeah, but... <laughs> That, that, that's one of Stuart Baird's best films. That is, I really, I really like it. But, so, oh, I yeah. know, but it's just—it's like you didn't pick anything like Nico or Out to Kill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you went for Under Siege, not Under Siege yeah. Two. Under Siege Two was fucking awful. Uh, but 
the, you know, Under Siege was, you know, die hard on a ship. It was. And, and the yes. one where he gets killed With Tommy off. Tommy Lee Jones is a bad guy, so come on, it's going to be great. Tommy Lee Jones is great in whatever he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Time Cop. Yes, sorry, we got totally off of Peter Hyams and into a uh, a nostalgia of uh, action movies when we were growing up. Um, wow, well, I think we're but... just we're just setting the scene, putting this film in its uh... <laughs> in its context. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to, to give a little bit of background on, on Time Cop for anyone that doesn't know, is this was actually based on a. Um, Dark Horse Comics uh, series called uh, called Time Cop, which was written by um, uh, Mark Richardson and uh, sorry Mike Richardson and Mark Verheiden. Mark Verheiden actually went on to uh, he was one of the producers of um, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. So oh, wow. uh, there you go. But um, this was when Dark Horse, uh, you, you know, they were doing quite a lot in in, in movie land around this time. That's um, right. Yeah, there was. Um, I remember the adaptation of Virus. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and the mask, and you know, all yeah. all sorts of different things that were coming out, and you know, this was one of those films. Um, as I said, loosely based on on the graphic novel. Um, re- really, really interesting. Uh, Jean Claude Van Damme in this plays a guy called Max Walker, who's a police officer, and it starts off set very contemporary it was you know 1994 and basically uh there's there's a there's a meeting um in in uh in washington uh, where the, the the u.s government are told about this sort of secret technology um that allows time travel and one of the things i'll say sort of from the get-go on this is one of the things this film does very well um, and, you know, and it's down to the scripting here of this is it deals with the rules of the time travel and makes it very clear. It is done as exposition in a simple scene uh, where it's being, you know, told told to the government by military advisors and whatever. But, um, you, you know, there are different types of time travel, you know, different sci-fi films deal with them in different ways. And you've got, you know, the way Star Trek does stuff and the way Doctor Who does stuff and Back to the Future and whatever. But th- th- this explains it, you know, very simply that the technology exists to go back in time. You can't go forward in time because the, the future hasn't happened yet. You can only go back. Um, you can't, you know, if you go back, the same matter can't occupy the same space. So you've got to be careful about, you know, uh, interacting with yourself in an earlier time. And obviously, any changes that you make cause ripples through time. So, mm. it, you know, you know um, that, that there are, as a result, um, you know, these time paradoxes and stuff. And, and it, you know, I, I think they do a really good job of just establishing that and and and, you know, we can get into the fun and we can get into the, the action. And, um, uh, but we then jump forward to what was then the future and, and now scarily, you, you know, uh, 15 years in our past. You've, you've missed out a massive, you, you've, you've missed out quite a bit. <laughs> can I just stop it? Because you have the whole setup with, uh, Mac, uh, with Walker's wife. Oh yeah, yeah, being yeah. Killed yeah. off. I mean, which is you know, it's a it's a it's a big thing that it's it sets it up right at the beginning, and and you and it's just, it's kind of hangs over the film because you know 
he he can't go back and change that. Yeah. This is this is how so straight laced his character is that he he has the power, you know, through this uh you know time police force to actually go back and save his wife and he doesn't because he knows that the effects could be quite devastating yeah no I, absolutely so so you know you have um still still in in 94 yeah you have a a young uh van damme character you know he's he's, he's a cop um he, he's very much in love with his with his wife, um, and you know, we, we have a little bit of action there. I, incidentally, apparently, he's named Max, and his wife is named Melissa, and all this, and it's supposed to be like a homage to um, Mad Max, apparently. Okay. So, so the trivia says, um, and, <laughs> okay. uh, and obviously she's killed, and all this sort of yes. thing. So, yeah. so yeah, um, and uh, you know, we then, as I said, jump forward to what what was then the future, but is now sort of. 15 years in our past or whatever um and you, you know by this point um you know there's there's a there's a secret uh time enforcement commission uh in operation um and these are these are policed by time cops of which max is now one of those um and they're actually you know their 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 job is to stop violations in time that might alter history mm. uh, and and that's you know essentially what what they're forced uh they do their enforcement the only this is one of the areas where this film doesn't hold up it does on most areas but they do show um some of life in 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 2004 oh, yeah. <laughs> predicted life in 2004 <laughs> and i have to admit the uh the the, the self driving cars are, are not quite up to looking like Teslas. Um, they, they actually they actually look like something from Butt Rogers in the twenty fifth century. You know? Yeah, but I mean that's the only thing. I mean they they didn't go for a totally future um, civilization. I mean the the only things that's kind of futuristic is the cars. I mean yes, everything yeah. else is just the same. I mean maybe the suits are have a slightly different cut a, a, a more sort of slightly futuristic cut to them but uh everything else looks the same i mean it's i mean we i apart from those scenes in the cars you don't get to see much of the future civilization really you're you're either yeah. in the um the time enforcement's um base which is all underground, so you know it's all yeah, concrete and, and secret, so yeah, that's fine, you know. so it's all concrete, <laughs> glass, and computers. And then the only time you sort of see the the future world is it's it's through these sort of the windows of these cars or, or the cars driving through a street somewhere. Uh, so, but I mean that's that's fine because that's not what the story is about. The story isn't about this future civilization. So. No, it isn't. No. As I said, though, it was mm. it was something that sort of made me chuckle. What yeah. Now yeah, is yeah. is is uh, you know they they don't quite hold up or sort of um or sort of ring true. And obviously, and obviously, they were predicting things slightly earlier than than they've actually happened in our real world here. But uh, yeah. that that yeah. happens with everything. So that, that that's, <laughs> that's fine. But uh, it it did it did make me kind of chuckle um, mm. uh, when I went back. So. Um, yeah, so as I said, he's going back, uh, changing time. He has to go back and into the if memory serves. I think it's the 1920s. It's sort of the prohibition yes, yeah. era. Yeah. Um, to stop one of his, well, an ex-time cop from 
using uh, the past events to make him profitable in the future. <laughs> and um, uh, we, we, we learn that in this future as well, people who do violate the, um, uh, you know, the timeline, uh, it is fairly harsh. You know, they are actually sentenced to death if they do so. So yeah. when, um, yeah. when, when time cops are sent back, uh, it is kind of... Um, you, you know, it's, it's going to be harsh if you're caught. <laughs> well, so, uh, yes. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, they're, they're, they're not like uh, shot or uh, electrocuted. They are, um, well, in the case of his partner, he tried to escape by jumping out the window and uh, Walker jumped out with him and was able to use his return module to, to get back to the future. But then when they they sort of pass judgment on him and execute him, they just send him back to that point where he's halfway falling down <laughs> the building. Yeah, and and splat. There you go. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, and one thing, actually, another thing that I, I failed to mention, which is quite key mm -hmm. uh, as well, is 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 the, the time travel rules in this film is, is, is not a la, you know, the Terminator or whatever, where you can't take... Um, Oh, yeah. uh, equipment back with you 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 can indeed take future technology back into the past so uh this is set up very well in the film where you have um uh, a scene sort of in, in the wild west around the time of the civil war yeah and um you, you have uh, a, a um a posse uh with a wagon with 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 treasure and stuff in it and you have one lone cowboy that basically asks them to give over uh give over the loot give over the gold or whatever to them and they're like oh yeah but you know there's there's half a dozen of us and there's or there's 12 of us or whatever and there's only one of you and he pulls away his poncho to reveal that he's got you know futuristic automatic weapons that he's able to kind of <laughs> wipe them all out in one go and again this is yeah. this is quite a good start to the movie actually. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah i think it works quite nicely and can know? i can i say and how do we know they're futuristic because they've got laser sights on them they've got yeah, lasers they, exactly. this, this is such a trope of the 90s that uh if if you want a futuristic gun you put a laser on it with a laser sight yeah, yeah which you know makes no sense especially with an automatic weapon <laughs> it, is, it is kind of pretty it does yeah. photograph nicely I know. If, 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 if you've got a bit of smoke in the air yeah, well, you, really you have good. to have smoke in the air to see the damn laser exactly. <laughs> otherwise so, it's no. just it's, a, it's just a dot on the on somebody's clothing i mean it, it, it yeah it works well in in certain situations and stuff like that but it's it does make me laugh for, for longest time <laughs> now thinking back you know, back in the nineties, we thought it was so cool, and now oh, look yeah. at it, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah, I loved this movie back in back in at the time. I mm. just thought this was this was you know everything had you know had the sci-fi element, the futuristic time travel stuff, lots of action, lots of fighting. You, you know, good concepts. I, I really, mm. really, really dug it, and um, you know, I still enjoy it now. But as I said, it's it's gone more into the realm of a of a guilty pleasure with with probably nostalgia playing a big part in my uh, in my enjoyment of it <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i must admit uh this time watching it because i mean I, I've, I've watched it a few times since seeing it in the cinema and i think it's it's one of those films that i i like the concepts i i like the ideas in it but uh i find the action a bit boring now I think, yeah, well, yeah, it's of I, its time, isn't it? Yeah, I no, mean, no, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
you know, they're, they're well choreographed, but I just, yeah, it's just, it wasn't the same ex- excitement as before. It, it, exactly. It's, 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 um, you know, things have changed over the years and, uh, yeah, it's not as, it's perhaps not as, um, as, uh, visceral, would I, I guess be the word as, as, as some of the action mm. is nowadays, but, but again, um, you, you know, a lot of the stuff they do in this film is indeed practical. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, there's some very early CGI in it, uh, which, yeah. which works sometimes <laughs> and other times looks really hokey. Indeed. I mean, indeed. especially the, I think the, the effect of the guy, um, when the guy sort of gets his arm smashed off because it got frozen and you see sort of little, the, the icicles on the, on what's left looks doesn't look that good <laughs> no no i mean yeah it's definitely some of it hasn't sort of held up no. um but you but you know we've got uh you, you know there, there's some there's there's also some great performances in this i mean you've got ron silver as the bad guy in this he plays um yeah. senator a senator who's looking to sort of um uh you know get elected uh to become the you, you know the ruler of the country and um you know he's he's using this this uh secret time travel stuff that he also has access to um you, you know for his own personal gain whilst at the same time uh is 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 trying to sort of put the lid on the on the whole um uh time enforcement uh commission uh as well so you've kind of got you know you've got that going on in here as well you've got the whole sort of um uh, you, you know, corporation uh, plot line and 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 government plot line and all, all of that sort of thing. But basically, you know, he he is totally out for his his, his own personal gain, and he's going to um, uh, you, you know speak you know, uses uses past self to help with that as well. And actually, one of the things they they, they do do quite well in in this, I quite like this. And this again is a sort of early CG thing, but. Um, I think it works quite well. Also, to to absolutely outline to make it clear to the audience, you know what happens if you do change things in the past. Uh, they 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 have an action sequence which um, mm. he's there and his younger self is there, and his younger self actually gets uh, uh, slashed on the face. Oh yeah, and then you see the scar appear on his future self. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, and all that to show sort of consequences and whatever, and 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 I thought, you know, that that, that was actually quite handled quite well. Um, well, I just it just reminds me of uh, what happens in Looper because they they do that in such an amazing way. You seen Looper? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Looper's yeah, great. No, no, they do. I mean, obviously, uh, Looper much later, mm. um, but yes, they 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 do similar things there as well, and. Uh, you know, when it when it's done well, I, I think it's it's, it's just yeah. quite good at uh, it showing the repercussions. Because as as we said, fiction deals with time travel depending on, on, on what bit of fiction in in so many different ways about how it works and what repercussions are and what you can and can't do. And uh, as I said, one of the things I think this film did very well is it established the rules within the within the setting within the universe and the confine of this particular story and it uh, it set out those rules quite quite well mm. um and uh, no 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 doubt you know it's come from the source material the, the other thing that always uh, kind of interested me um with the method of time travel in this film is you, you know you see that they have this um this sort of 
vehicle on a track that, uh, that, 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 that sort of links to the time generator and they're sort of catapulted um, in this vehicle. And then they obviously appear through a sort of um, a light ripple, um, yeah. you know, in wherever they are. But then when they get, when they, get, they, they obviously have a device, which of course, again, com- compared to like an iPhone now looks, looks quite antiquated by, by design, but they have a device to send them back. And then they sort of appear back in that vehicle as they come back into time. So, again, that's all a bit, <laughs> It really doesn't make any sense because, no. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it, what happens to the vehicle when they are in the past. Indeed. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I kind of, that, that was one bit where I sort of scratched my head and sort of thought, hmm, that, 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 that's a bit bizarre. Yeah, um, yeah. And, <laughs> it's not like he's got the DeLorean, like with the yeah, DeLorean exactly. Back to the Future, it goes back with them. <laughs> exactly. You would think that's that's what would happen. I mean, what, yeah. do they, does it eject them or something? I mean, yeah. it, just, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it looks cool. I mean, when you see them it kind cool of and they're, and appearing. they're consistent with it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um but yeah, it, it, it did make me sort of question. Okay, you know where where did where did that go? And uh, obviously, you know, of course, I was reading way too much into it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I think uh, but, I but, think but you're allowed to. Yeah. yeah, well, I was going to say the reason I bring that up is I, I said they did such a good job of explaining the rules in the film mm-hmm. that that's the one little thing that doesn't quite add up. Um, you know, obviously suspending your disbelief that time travel is even possible, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, that, 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 yeah. was, that was quite interesting. So that, that and the futuristic cars were the things that sort of bugged me the most, I suppose. Well, <laughs> I, I, I must watching. admit, uh, watching it this time, the one thing that did bug me was the fact that, so you, you have that opening sequence and then you have the briefing in Washington where, the, you know, where the guy goes, yes, uh, I'm, I'm here for money. You're going to give it to me because, you know, time travel is now. And he des- he describes that they've there's already been an event describing that they, you know, uh, terrorists were using, you know, uh, Civil War gold to pay for, for weapons and stuff. And it's like, well, if this has just been invented, how did the criminals get their hands on this technology already? Yes. Uh, that that was the thing that was like, well, I- I'm really the scratching. The bender. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Like how you know it's been invented but nobody knows about it yet criminals already found out about it and using it to get yeah that were that yeah, yeah that's that's one of those real paradox mind bender type uh type things that i i guess you just have to not think too hard about but uh <laughs> they needed a reason that these politicians would say yes for the money because they needed to prove they have some sort of proof so you know they so they 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 wrote up this thing, and you know at the fine we were watching it. You think it, it it you don't really think about it, but then when you afterwards you go well, well why is it that you know because obviously they've they've jumped from this point back to the American Civil War and then came back with the gold. That's right. Uh, so yeah. how on earth do they get their hands on this technology already before mm. the guys who actually invented it? and probably were funding the guy haven't even used it yet themselves exactly when when they and they try they try but it doesn't really explain it to to deal with that a little bit when um ron silver's character goes back 
to uh and you see him talking to the the scientist guy about um uh you, you know the technology or whatever where that's going to be used but it, oh, again it yeah. doesn't quite add up because they've already gone back before then that wasn't time <laughs> travel that was um he come up with this new uh chip which used yes. cold fusion so that was he the thing with that was he had uh he had been an investor in it but he was getting you know he he sort of backed out of it he was sort of paid off and then of course the the chip then blew up and was this a massive deal which you know people were sort of which, still sort of you yeah know, which, which one with. could sort of read between the lines might have been might have been you know something to do with the technology that ended up oh you know, I, i'm sure the time travel i don't know i, I, I think um, they use it in their computers but yeah, it wasn't yeah. what uh, it, it, i don't think it's what's involved in at that point of creating the um the the time travel i don't know i think we're getting really heavy into Indeed. this this now <laughs> when all it's really about is about john claude van damme kicking <laughs> what's he say i must Indeed. be uh, was it kicking some ass and doing some moves what's it say oh yeah because ron silver says you know with all that kicking you do you sh- you're missing out on broadway and then at the end he goes ah i must be on broadway and kicks his <laughs> kicks him yeah in indeed indeed um and then obviously uh you, you know you've got some other great actors in here bruce mcgill yeah uh he plays the commander of um uh, of the time enforcement uh, commission um you interestingly as well you've got uh this is a little trope that uh, or a, a little reference that um hyams does in many of his films uh the character played by scott lawrence in this is named uh spotter which is yeah. actually his wife's maiden name and he, he always has a character called spotter in in sort of every uh every film that he does as a sort of reference to, to his wife which is rather nice i think yeah you know <laughs> oh you know that other piece of trivia you said about uh the the characters of walker max and melissa being named after the and max and and his wife in mad max i just had a look the wife's name's jesse so Oh, IMDb. Right. Well, that's a bit of crap trivia then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they also they also say, which I think is quite funny, particularly in, in light of some of our recent podcasts, that apparently Jean-Claude Van Damme's hairstyle in this, which is quite the bouffon in the in the in the future bits, <laughs> yeah. um, is based on Wolverine from the comics. <laughs> Really? Which I think is quite funny. Okay. Yeah. Again, it's another crappy bit of IMDb trivia, which I don't really believe, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, if I can say one thing, I mean, uh, Van Damme certainly can rock and mullet. Even even now when he does yes. the Cause Lights adverts, he's certainly rocking the, the mullet in that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Apparently, 2004, the mullet was going to be all the rage. Yeah, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> Can I just tell you this story before you move on? But um, I have met John yeah. Claude Van Damme. How oh, have you? Okay. Yeah. Is he cool? Uh, nice yeah. Guy? Yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you the story. Uh, so it was my first trip out to Cannes uh, back in 2009, and uh, the first night. We, I was there with uh, Benjamin Green, who, of course, is the one of the main actors out of Blood and Roses. And uh, 
we were sort of, you know, wandering around the closet, trying to get into somewhere, get into one of these exclusive parties, having not much luck. And we were walking away from a hotel when this big scrum of like uh, journalists and photograph photographers came rushing our way and everybody else was able to jump out the way apart from myself. And I was kind of having to sort of wriggle through this, this crowd. And suddenly I felt these hands on my, on my side sort of moved me. They were, they were very gentle touch, but very firm. And it was Jean-Claude Van Damme moved me out the way. And I thought, oh, bloody hell, I've been touched by Jean-Claude Van Damme. (laughs) It was just such a surreal moment. And then later on, uh, I saw him outside the uh, hotel. So I went over and I had like my photograph taken with him and, you know, said, oh, big fan, all that kind of stuff. And he was, you know, really, you know, it was that time of night where he could have quite, you know, could have said uh sorry i'm just not interested but he you know he stood and took the photograph with me and everything uh, it's a, a real shame that the the girl who took my photograph um didn't hit the flash on my camera so it's really dark and <laughs> you can't really see it oh. it's me and him but yeah mate i hate it when that happens so many times you know i've asked you know if you ever ask people to take a picture of you and people just don't understand framing or anything and you end up with the shittiest picture ever and you think damn it if i'm ever asked to take a picture of people i i i, I take it with care and make mm. sure it's come out well and give them options and shit like that but uh yeah yeah no i, I i've got many 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 a misspent photo that hasn't worked yeah, yeah these, this is <laughs> this is the days before iphones and stuff so yeah uh it's a shame really but uh but you know i got to meet him and uh it was uh it was really nice and um i know i know other guys who sort of met him before he was um uh a star because you know he used to come around and do all sort of you know all the sort of uh kung fu and karate meets and stuff that were over here and stuff so you know there's there's quite a few people who sort of who knew him in the days before he was uh, a star but yeah, that was you know I don't have many brushes with um, celebrities, but uh, that was one I was quite you know I was quite happy to you know I'm glad that I sort of met him you know indeed no absolutely it's always cool when we uh, when we meet uh, somebody particularly if if we were a fan of theirs growing mm-hmm. up or whatever that, that that's that's always very cool so um, yeah ah, good stuff good stuff anyway with, without me getting too um, plotted down with the plot essentially yeah. uh when walker does return to 2004 um after his mission which he's he's actually sent with a with a he's partnered up with a um a rookie agent um he he, he comes back to find that uh the ripples have happened and uh, macomb uh, ron silver's character has actually uh manipulated the timeline and is now not only a presidential front runner but he's the sole owner of that computer company, uh, and he's also um, planning to shut down the the TEC. So um, you know, and 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 Van Dam is is the only one that's actually aware of this because the partner who who he takes with him uh, turns out to, to to double cross him and be working for Macomb, uh, and she gets injured in, in in a fight out in a firefight. So he's only able to return. Um, to the present stroke future, whatever you want to call it now, uh, <laughs> on his own. And, um, 
so so basically he he realizes that he needs to go back to 1994 to try and um you know, reset that event and make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, so one of the things he decides to do is go to the hospital to uh, talk to the rookie partner, which um, uh, I've forgotten the character's name. She's played by Gloria Rubin, um, Sarah Fielding in, in the plot, uh, to talk to Fielding, um, you know, to, 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 to see if she'll testify against that. And he notices when he's in the hospital that uh, it's the same hospital that his, that his wife had been to that morning um, uh, of the day she, she died in, in, in the past. And she had something to tell him that she wasn't able to tell him at the time. And he, he sees her records and sees that she is, in fact, pregnant. So uh, he realizes that this is the night that he can stop the assailants on, on his building from actually... Uh, killing his wife and hopefully stop Macomb in the process. <laughs> kind of with me, with me so far. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he, 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 he's, <laughs> he, well, he says a line where if Macomb can change the past, so can I. So, uh, yes. he, he's sets out to, um, stop Macomb. And the thing is, it then turns out the, the, the killing of his wife was by Macomb and his thugs, where he, he he seems to be doing quite well, you know. Those he keeps hiring a lot of fucks, <laughs> you know, because they keep getting killed off all the time. He's able to find new and bigger ones, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you know he, so there was this ripple effect originally, which they were living in, and he's able to correct that, and you know, and have a happy ending. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, following that um, comes quite a well shot and well paced and well lit, you know, action sequence, um, mm. you know, exactly what you'd expect from a Van Damme film, actually. Um, you know, Bruce McGill, he, he has a good time, uh, not Bruce McGill, sorry, Ron Silver in this film has a good time sort of chewing the scenery a bit and doing his sort of Robert, Robert De Niro meets Andy Garcia type impression. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, you, you, you know, but but he gets his comeuppance. Um, we deal with this whole, uh, you, you know, the same matter can't occupy the same space at the same time, and we get a little bit of dodgy CGI, but it but it does the yeah. trick. Yeah. And um, and obviously, yeah. When by the time he gets back into two thousand and four, you, you know, he goes home to his wife and his kid, and and they're all sort of happily ever after. So he he has indeed change time for himself and um this did as many things do it did actually spawn a bit of a franchise um <laughs> three three years later there was actually a television series um based on time cop um it, the the only character that was carried over from the from the film was actually the the the, the commander although obviously he wasn't played by bruce mcgill at this point he was played by another actor um, but it was a different, uh, a, a different time cop. And essentially it just took on the sort of quantum leap, um, you know, show of the week type thing. In fact, it reminds me, I'm actually enjoying a show at the moment called Timeless, um, right. which is on it again. It's quite a lot of fun and it's where, uh, you, you know, a guy's going back manipulating time and then these three guys are going going and trying to set right what he's what he's doing wrong all the time. Oh, so yeah, 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 yeah. 
and and essentially i mean that's that's kind of what this short-lived series was i watched a couple of the episodes um they only actually made nine of them and uh and and the show got cancelled um and then in 2003 they made a sequel movie it was one of these direct to dvd type jobs called time cop to the berlin decision which starred jason scott lee and this was sort of set 20 years after the events of the first film so it is actually still in our future um 2025 um and uh i i i started it i must admit i haven't actually finished it <laughs> but, but you know i mean it was it was what it was it was it was playing on the same thing obviously time had moved on and technology was a bit different um uh but but you know it, it dealt with similar themes and i i don't know if it was particularly successful um and i've since heard that there are plans to uh to actually as there are with everything nowadays reboot uh this with but with a remake of the original movie at some point oh right. well yeah i mean I don't know who's the, involved in that. yeah i mean <laughs> it, it's it's one of those concepts you could do a lot with and uh you know it might a, a, a reboot might work or a remake you know just you know just make it just make it a different storyline i mean you just take the idea of time cops and their you know policing uh the timeline and stuff and you can just go anywhere you want with it. you can go with you know yeah different characters and different stories i can see why they tr- tried a series with it i just mm. think it was probably a little bit too early you, you know now nowadays a series of this might might work better but this was this was you know when they did it it was late 90s and it was still you know network restrictions and 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 budgets and you know turnarounds and and you know the series yeah. was, was very sort of typical uh, of that era and um you could see how it would be it would become tired very quickly yeah. um the first episode dealt with someone going back uh to to replace jack the ripper so that he got the fame and uh, of jack the ripper which which i thought was quite quite bizarre Mm. but um yeah so um there you go that's time cop and 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 you know (laughs) hyams has got some great films and i'm not necessarily saying this is the best one of his films but it's certainly an incredibly enjoyable one and it was it was an important film for me at the time so uh Go check it out if I haven't sport it too much for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> All right. Well, my pick for uh, Movie Heaven is a film that came out in 1981 and uh, stars Sean Connery in space. Yes. Outland. Hey, great movie. Yeah, again, would have been a contender on my list if you hadn't already picked it. So, yeah, good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's one of those films that, uh, you know, as, as when we decided to do Peter Hyams, I went, that's that's the one I wanted to talk about because it's just it's it's a great yeah. film. And, and it's one of those films I just come back to over and over again. Um, it is a remake of High Noon or it's high noon in space but the the thing i i love about it is the fact that because high noon was all about the sheriff trying to you know to get the the town on his side and help him against uh you know this guy you know 
this bad guy who was coming out of jail and who wanted revenge on him. Uh, High Noon, that's the whole film. In Outland, that's just the third act. There's this Mm -hmm. wonderful build-up about um, this drug that's being used by the the miners on Io, one of the moons of Jupiter. And uh, it helps them to sort of uh, work harder, but also makes them go crazy. And so we're introduced to uh, one of the things that made this film quite famous, uh, a guy's head exploding in a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Which, funny enough, 1981 seemed to be the year of head explosions because not only did you have Outland, but you had Scanners as well. Scanners, yes, indeed. Indeed. Which, which has a you know very famous head explosion in it, and uh, so we follow uh, Sean Connery, who's a new marshal there. Uh, he's sort of him, uh, his wife and son. They've sort of moved from outpost to outpost, and uh, obviously the wife isn't too happy about this, and so she she takes the son and they they head back to to Earth, leaving uh, Sean Connery to, you know be on his own and you know having to look after this you know be the marshal of this uh, mining colony and then of course does the investigation into the drug trade that's going on and finds out that uh, who's behind it and then once he sort of stands up against this guy you know spoiler he's it's the actual guy who's running the mine who's supplying the drugs uh, played by Peter Boyle and um and of course then he talks to his guys above him who send that send these free mercenaries to come and kill him and that's when it becomes high noon i mean it's it's wonderful when he goes into the the strip bar they have because you know it's future so it's all really grimy and you know pervy so you know <laughs> not only do you have a drink but you have people gyrating on the bar in front of you <laughs> and um you know he asks for their help and none of them will help them apart from this doctor that he's sort of you know got a bit of a friendship with is the only one who will come to his aid not even his own deputies will come and help and uh you know and it sort of sets up this sort of showdown at the end and it's it's really well done i I enjoy it a lot. It's uh, uh-huh. it's a great sci-fi film, and it's you know Peter Hyams has says that the the look is kind of based on the look of Alien, and it, it kind of well, shows because yeah. I just want to say this before you get into your stuff. It's just that I remember when there was an advert for um, Alien was being shown on ITV, and I think Outland was being shown at the same time. And they looked like they were... I, I always sort of confused scenes from this being an alien when I was much younger. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it is a great pick. And I think it is definitely one of um, one of uh, Peter Hyams, uh, you know, high points of his career. Um, I mean, he's done some very... You know, this film does some very cool things in so much as you're absolutely right. It takes sort of the... Certainly for the third act, it kind of takes... Um, some of the plot elements from from High Noon, uh, where Sean Connery's character of O'Neill here is kind of um, 
you, you know, being like the, uh, the, the the Gary Cooper character from High Noon. Uh, you know, the difference being where where he's waiting for them to come in on a train uh, by a certain time. Obviously, here we're de- we're dealing with um, them coming in on a on a, on a shuttle. And um, but but yeah, I mean, it is it is very re- reminiscent from that side of being sort of High Noon in space. Um, the other thing is uh, bringing the whole sort of corporation the corrupt corporation um theme into it and you know having peter boyle uh sort of running that that mining operation and uh you know um peter boyle in this as well great does a really great job i mean everybody sort of steps up sean connery in this is 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 amazing as always you know uh sean connery in space is always good right um sure uh, have you done your homework Because I'll kick your ass. <laughs> I'll kick your ass if you haven't. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you know. Um, but but I mean, you know, you know, this was Connery was a massive star at, at you know at this point, and um, uh, you, you know, it was great to see him do something sort of gritty like this. Um, obviously, uh, as I said, I did did listen to Hyam's commentary on this, and rightly so. Um, he does pay homage to and thanks to Ridley Scott because he said that. Um, the sort of used space grimy future look of this you know the workers in space truckers in space whatever you want to call it feel is definitely inspired by um alien in many respects you know this film came out just a few years after alien um and you know looking at it it could almost be set in the same world as alien because there are in terms of design and look, there are lots of similarities. You know, th- this 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 IO um, mining colony could almost be run by Wayland the Utani. You know, it's, yeah. it's got that look. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it's it's interestingly we were talking about particularly in Time Cop and stuff how you, you know predictions of the future, whether it's Star Trek or Alien or whatever, are always always difficult because um, you know it never looks like it and. The only thing that really ever dates Alien, and, and I guess dates this film, is the computer screens. You know, you've always got these sort of There's, monochromatic, yeah, quite large Yeah, the, C, the CRT, and, but you know what? I have no problem with that at all because... No, I don't. It, it, it works fine. I mean, because you, you imagine, you know, because as you say, it's a grimy, it's a working, uh, you know, look at the future. So... They wouldn't have the best technology. They wouldn't have like no, touch screen and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's it, it's funny when that I I never have a problem with that. It's when you see the sort of you know real future tech, you know, like um, Tom Cruise in Minority Ro- Report with his swiping the the screen with his light fingers and stuff, and you're thinking. Well, you know, we might see that, but... Uh, well, they're getting there. They are getting there, to I be know, fair, because that's because Spielberg that... talked to all the technologists, mm. didn't he, before it, and asked about yeah, what's, but, I mean, what's that's... it going to be like in but 50 years. But the, the thing years, is, you know? that's going to date that film at some point down the line more than CRT monitors are. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah have, no, no. I have no no problem with, with with that. I mean, it it just it just looks like it's part of that. Because I mean, we all work, we've all done jobs for companies, you know, who are still running with these really old machines. So in those environments, you imagine that they will be saving every penny they could, including you know the computer screens. They've you know probably bought a whole batch of them from 
from the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Even and though yeah, even no, though at the time that was cutting edge technology for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, this is one of the reasons it looks like it could be in the alien world, because the, 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 the close ups and even the sound effects of the, of the screen and the graphics yeah. and whatever, you know, are almost identical to Mother, you know, or, or, yeah. from Alien. You know, it's, it's very, it's got it very much has that feel. And I like it. I, yeah. I do. I like the sort of space trucker of the future feel that it has. Um, what, what, what's interesting with Haim's films as well, I, I meant to say this with 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 time cop um is you, you know when we did the uh the x-men podcast a few ago you, you sort of mentioned the fact that you know even though x-men was was made in 2000 but was supposed to take place in like 2003 or whatever yeah that, that they just put the near future you know yes. rather than uh whereas in these films that they, they they um absolutely tell us exactly where we, when we are regardless of whether uh you know it's going to ring true or not which is uh you, you know quite interesting and can be quite 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 funny to watch in retrospect for sure but um but yeah outland um it doesn't feel dated at all actually um despite those things mm. um and it does have a really really gritty you know serious look about it um even the even the visual effects of which you, you know are quite old school now but um you, you know most of them look really good in this yeah. and 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 again things like the costume design uh you know very inspired by by um alien and what they were wearing on the nostromo and whatever but uh again i i kind of felt i believed this world i i totally believed this world he was in and and the good thing was it had that real despite him being in outer space, it had that real claustrophobic feel about it as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, you know, it was, was all shot in the UK. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. But, the, but, uh, it's a place to shoot it. But can I just say something? Uh, as as much as most effects hold up, the one effect that kind of is, is dated now and doesn't look that great is the exploding heads. They, they yeah, just, yeah, well, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Well, apparently, I mean that scientifically, that's inaccurate. Oh yeah, anyway, we we but, we yeah. Um... <laughs> I mean, but for the film, it's great. You, I, I, I enjoy that. I think it's it's a nice touch because it's that extra bit of danger that's put into it. I mean, I think that works much better within the uh, confines of this story than say what would probably happen where they would freeze instantly. I mean, yeah, you, you know, like Tim Robbins and Mission to Mars. So in the contents of this story where it's, you know, it's a gritty, exciting thriller, they then have somebody just freeze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work, but... No, 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 I yeah. agree. And I mean, a, 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 you know, and he also gives a lot of kudos in his commentary. This is obviously a very early film for the Ladd Company, which was, yeah. um, you know, run by Alan Ladd Jr., who was, of course, uh, the president of 20th Century Fox at the time. And... Um, you know, he said that, uh, you know, whereas whereas nowadays you get caught up uh, with, with filmmaking in, in sort of loads of, you know, accountants and uh, lawyers and stuff and risk taking and all this sort of stuff with the movie industry. He said, you know, um, Alan Ladd Jr. was one of those guys that was willing to take risks and even push things like he, for example, said that uh, 
the bit where the the worker goes down in the lift and, and decompresses in the lift mm. um, or the elevator. Uh, when you get to the bottom, uh, originally, um, Hyams had filmed it just as reaction shots and shock of all the people looking. And apparently it was uh, Alan Ladd Jr.'s idea for him to go back and reshoot and put the gore in it where you could actually see the blood and the guts and whatever hanging off bits of the... Um, the inside of the lift so uh, yeah but i mean you, you, you know, still he, don't he, see he that much though you don't see that much though well no but i guess for the time it was probably uh it was it was a bit full-on for the time i yeah. suppose but yeah, yeah I, I i you know i i think even watching this today um enjoyable film obviously sean connery is as magnetic as he always is um and, you know, this is a great plot. I mean, as I said, to take the themes from a wonderful film like High Noon and, and, and sort of put a space element to it, uh, which was obviously very vogue at the time. Um, yeah, I think I think this still absolutely holds up. And it's nice that it's one of those films that just exists in its own right and is not part of a franchise or has sequels or anything like that. It's just it's just one of those movies. And I think um, definitely. Uh, in terms of the the the, the, the canon of um, Hyams films, uh, you know, is is right up there. So uh, it's a good pick. Nice Thank one. You. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed going back to it. I enjoyed going back to it very much because yeah. I originally saw it on television, I think, or video or whatever. And um, y- y- you know, it was nice to go back and see a nice cleaned up Blu-ray edition of it. And um, you know, in its original aspect ratio. And, uh, yeah, very enjoyable too. I saw it, um, you know, I hadn't seen it for a while. And then I saw it, I think about five years ago, around at Rob Wicking's place where he did like a, a sci-fi triple bill. So we watched this and Android and Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, right. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Which is free from that era. (laughs) Yeah. Which I have to say, I, 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 really love Battle Beyond the Stars because it was like you know in that list of of films that I saw when I was very young you know very you know one of the first films I yep. saw at the cinema but yeah Outland well we've certainly a... mentioned it before haven't we oh yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah well you know you got to get mentioned that alien Star Wars Bond <laughs> we should start batman. a drinking batman we're gonna start a drinking game you know every time we mention one of these that somebody's got to take a a sip <laughs> you could be quite drunk by the end of an episode i think yeah <laughs> a, a, gr- a great soundtrack by jerry goldsmith as well i think we need to uh to mention yes yes well another alien connection you know indeed yeah and i think this time they you know he wrote the whole score and wasn't you know, as we know, an alien using bits of previous scores in in the soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> I, I know there there is there is one bit of controversy around this film, though, and that is that um, uh, Stephen Goldblatt uh, is actually credited as the cinematographer on this, and obviously, you know, he's 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 gone on to do uh, you, you know many. F- films you know the the lethal weapon movies um batman forever you know all, all sorts of things but um uh apparently he was just literally used as, as a credit on this and uh obviously um 
Hyams lit this film as, as, as he does most of his films. And I think that uh, from, from what I've read, Stephen Goldblatt was rather put out about the whole thing. This was still fairly early in his career. Um, and he's obviously done all right since. But mm. um, uh, interestingly, there's no mention of that whatsoever in the audio commentary. <laughs> he mentions Stuart Baird as an editor, but he doesn't mention Stephen Goldblatt. <laughs> yeah, I had heard that as well. Uh, but yeah, it, I think it was just a case to get round the uh, ASC rules or uh, just round the unions. But... Um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, at the end of the day, it, that's a it's a hell of a credit for the guy for not doing anything. I mean, I don't know if he was on set or if he was working the camera or whatever, but you know, he's done all right out of it. Yes, I mean, no, he's he's gone on to have a fabulous career, but you know, um, I mean, I I mean, I don't know the circumstances of him being hired. If it was a case of that he was told up front this is what was going to happen, or if he just turned up on set and. You know, Peter Hyams just sort of did everything and just said, no, don't worry about it, or, you know, just overruled everything he, he was doing. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he did actually tell as well a, a little, um, uh, again, I'm, I'm spoiling this for anyone who does listen to the commentary, I guess, but he, he did tell a little uh, Connery story, which I thought was quite fun. He's, he was talking about lighting Connery and what a wonderful, interesting face Sean Connery had at that point as well, you know. And, um, uh Apparently, he was using this um, light bulb just to get a, a, a glint in Connery's eye. Um, and uh, Connery said to him, apparently, as they were doing it, it was like the first day on set or whatever. And, and Connery was like, uh, watch the light for, boy, like that to him. <laughs> and uh, he, he sort of said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just lighting your, uh, you know, getting a nice highlight in your, in your eye there and all this. Well, apparently, Connery, following that, demanded that he saw the uh the dailies the rushes for that day mm-hmm. and uh of, of you know of course they, they they let sean connery see the rushes why wouldn't you you know very powerful very hard man to say no to i'm sure um and apparently after that uh you know that there, there was a definite trust between them and i think um sean connery was just basically making it making sure that uh Hyams knew what he was doing and and the shit that they were shooting looked good um <laughs> so he, he tells that as a Sorry. he tells that as a uh, as a story you know <laughs> <laughs> i just love the fact you just refer to it the shit that they're shooting <laughs> oh yeah the the the, the, the footage this, they were shooting yeah. looked good so uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, i just no, i uh, could just imagine that on set know, go load some more shit into the camera hey who knows maybe connery went up and said hey boy the shit you're shooting looks good (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know but anyway it was it was it was an interesting story uh and and quite i always find those things kind of fascinating to hear you know um when you've got star actors and whatever and how they take their craft really seriously and you know you know the fact that um Mm. that, that, that that sean connery uh did that uh the other thing i want to say about the film i do love the banter between him and the doctor i think that's yes. really really good yeah Cause apparently that was written for a male and they didn't change anything but they they cast a female yes and um it, you know it really works i mean that that, that banter is really quite amusing well yeah <laughs> i mean delivered. but the thing is i'm i'm a fa- i'm a quite a fan of Frances sternhagen and she's she's great in she's wonderful yeah I mean, I thought she yeah. was brilliant in the mist, especially when she was yes. uh, blowtorching those giant spiders in it. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, no, I, I just thought that was really good. I just thought that worked nicely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's very good. I mean, it's a, you know, it, it works very much, and it's just not a carbon copy of High, High Noon. They actually went and did something different with it and then introduced the High Noon bit for the third act, and it works really well. So, you know, it's a lesson for for people make it, doing remakes that you don't have to just remake the film. You don't have to do a carbon copy. You can take it and move it in different directions and still you know tell a similar story the same story but make it different make it yeah. your own and i think that's a lesson that hollywood at the moment doesn't seem to understand just put you know just doing a, a shot for shot remake or just the same film story it's just boring if you yes want to do it's a less remake, interesting than yeah. a reimagining for sure yeah, yeah no, i mean just you know I think, I don't know, reimagining is always, in my mind, has certain connotations. It just sounds like, you know, we'll just take the name and we'll do whatever the fuck we want to do. Because at the end of the day, it's still high noon. But they did something completely different with it. But it's yeah, still no, high noon. Reimagining just sounds like, you know, if they, if they were doing high noon, that they just take the title and then it'd be, you know, something else. It wouldn't be high noon. Yeah, well, I think I think they just used it as a basis. They they just simply used it as a as a as an idea jumping off point, and um, you, you know made it completely its own thing. So um, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. a really good example. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we're gonna move on now to our picks for movie hell. So, uh, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Okay, well, uh, you, you know, t t we, we, we've gone double Van Damme here, not that actual movie. Um, you mean double impact. I mean, he, he, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, I mean, he, he's, done, he's done a few movies with, with, with Van Damme. Um, obviously, he did uh, After Time Cop. He did a couple of years later, he did Sudden Death. And, um, uh, you, you know, in view of the news this week, actually, and, and again, We'd, we'd just have loads of podcasts if we did it that every time somebody in the industry or connected to the industry uh, dies. But very sadly, we had the passing of Powers Booth this mm, week, who yeah. um, who was obviously in sudden death and made me think, ah, maybe I should have uh, maybe I should have talked about that. But I, but I picked a film I hadn't seen and I thought, let's let's I watched a few of his films that I hadn't seen um, before making my choice for movie hell. And um, you mentioned this one earlier. I, I did his last film, which is called Enemies Closer, which yeah. he made in um, 2013, um, action action thriller. Um, yeah, th this one, uh, I guess he had a low budget on this because this feels very much like uh, when, I, when I first went to film school um, at weekends and whatever, I worked on a few micro budget action films that, that sort of went straight to dvd and stuff and uh <laughs> looking at this this just feels like one of those to me um you know what i had i had the, ex <laughs> the exact same thought i i was watching this <laughs> and i was thinking this looks like somebody's first film not somebody's yeah. last film it, it, yeah. it, it was so weird if it, it, it's like it was one of those stories where it's like, well, what's cool? 
oh, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to have like, you know, Mounties and, you know, boats and scuba diving. And the, the, the ranger guy can be like ex Navy seal. And, and just, it was all those sort of elements that you would expect somebody who just come out of film school, you know, or as you say, direct to DVD mm. kind of story. And it was just like, this okay. Is, this is yeah, like, well, it's, you obviously agree with me then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh there is no defending this film. There is no okay. defending this film. <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought. I mean, it is definitely a, a you know a step back to say to say the least. Um, y- y- you know, and in this, you've got. I mean, we talked a lot about Van Damme earlier, um, but. Oh dear! He plays the bad guy in this one, yeah. and with with a really odd hairdo again. Yeah, um, but the hairdo uh, was terrible. Yeah, but he he just sort of has too much fun uh, trying to chew the scenery that it really that it really doesn't work. It's 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 kind of groan worthy. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're you're forgetting that other element that makes it really groan worthy. What is he? Well, he's a he's a mountie. No, no. What? What does... you mean when he turns up? No, no. He's a vegan. He keeps going on oh, about a being a vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a vegan mountie. Exactly. He turns up. And he says, "Oh, you you're laughing at my boots." Well, I'm a vegan, and mm. and then so for, throughout the whole film, he's doing things like picking he, up strawberries. Picking up strawberries. <laughs> yeah. After he snaps a guy's neck. Oh, he loves snapping necks in this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of necks he snaps in it is ridiculous. Yeah. No, ex- ex- exactly. It's it's kind of, um, uh, yeah, it it, it, it it feels very cheap and very staged and just not very good, really. Um you know, it's only it's only eighty five minutes long. Oh, uh, uh, that was its only yeah. saving grace. It didn't hang around. <laughs> it, yeah, it got in yeah. and it got out very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the the, the basic uh, sort of outline for this is that there's a plane crash at the at the beginning, uh, which sort of happens off screen, um, and it turns out that and it's on the U.S. Canadian border, and it's close to a um, an island. Uh, and, and we're introduced to this this forest ranger guy that that, that runs the island and the visitor center and all this sort of stuff, and um, you know it transpires that on that plane are um, uh, th- th- there's drugs on the on the plane, and essentially uh, Van Dam's team uh, goes back to sort of retrieve the drugs, but of course they 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 don't expect that the that the forest ranger on the island is actually going to be an ex Navy SEAL. <laughs> can I, <laughs> he can kind I just, of scuppers their plan. Yeah, it, the, <laughs> the ex Navy SEAL is played by uh, Tom Everett Scott, who uh, I don't know. He's got a, he's got a weird uh, you know filmography because he's done films like That Thing You Do and La La Land, but also was the lead in American Werewolf in Paris. Ah, there you go. So, <laughs> a varied filmography. He's still working, though. I don't. He's. Ah, I don't know. He wasn't. He just. He, he just seemed kind of wrong. He was like when we were introduced to him. He's kind of like that likable chap who 
has a, a tough time getting on with people and you don't really sort of figure him out to be like a navy seal no not at all i uh, know he's very uh, he's a very unconvincing yeah. navy seal i have to say yeah. um and then and then ba- basically they they've they've added this other thing where or the actor orlando jones who's also a producer on this and obviously met peter hyams because orlando jones was in his film the the remake film uh, beyond a reasonable doubt with michael douglas okay um a few years beforehand uh is the producer on this and he basically turns up as a a character who who knocks on the door and sort of says that he's beached his boat and whatever and um you know can can he get some help and it turns out he's there because he wants revenge because his brother is his brother isn't it yeah i think his brother. it was his brother yeah, i, I with, watched with, it with, i watched with, it last night so yes it was definitely right, his right, brother okay. I watched it a few weeks yeah i watched it a few weeks back and i'm already starting to forget it which says something um that is that is that his brother was was who was also a, a seal was 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 killed in a mission that was uh under uh, our main guy's command is that is that right if I that's that right, right yes that's I correct that? no no it's correct uh, and, and and you know so so you've got that sort of thing going on but it ends up that these two adversaries have to sort of team up to deal with with van damme and the crazy mounties <laughs> who have come to get the drugs back uh, and this is one of the things that's laughable about the film is is the fact that when when van damme and his team first turn up they turn up in the full sort of red bounty yeah. uniforms which you, you know looks a bit ridiculous because the the, the 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 truth is that mounties don't actually wear those uniforms for actual duty they only use them as serap for ceremonial purposes you know because of the history mm. so so when you see them all sort of turn up in these red mountie jackets it all looks a bit it all looks a bit bizarre particularly when van damme then with his crazy hairdo goes into the like you said this whole thing about why he's a vegan and doesn't wear leather boots and all yeah. that sort of stuff <laughs> um so so yeah these guys end up teaming up and it really is a sort of chasing around hiding in the woods um action yeah uh you know stuff um there's there's there's, there's touches touches of so many films there's like a touch of like first blood in there where uh our ranger sets up a few traps for some of the oh uh, that's right yes but i yeah. mean there's there's a bit so this this <laughs> this guy gets uh he falls through um a hole in the ground that's been covered up and there's wooden spikes and he gets a, a spike right through his leg I think that's Van Damme's son, by the way, in real life. I yeah, think that's actually one of Van Damme's sons. I, I, I'm just looking at the credits. Yeah, it's uh, Chris Van Damme. It's his eldest right. son. Yeah. And, um, and of course, he spills the beans on who the guys are, who guys are and all this stuff. And, and then, of course, a bit later on, where they, you know, they've got John Claude at uh, gunpoint he turns up and then sort of turns the tables and, it's, and he's walking pretty well for somebody who's had a wooden spike for his leg it's just like yeah it's, that's that's why it felt like a like a first time filmmaker because it's like just these you know he, he would be knocked out from the pain or even if he wasn't he'd still have a hard time sort of getting there i don't think you'd be able to hobble no no, I, I mean, it, this this is the problem. This is why I picked it as movie hell. I watched mm. 
I watched a few Himes films that I hadn't seen and revisited some as well. And, um, you, 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 you know, like we said, he has a sort of duds in his career. But uh, when, I, when, I, when I saw this one, I just thought, oh, well, it, it kind of pairs with Time Cop in, in the fact that they both got Van Damme in it. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and, but it, this just does feel like a really cheap amateur um, action flick and it, it it really is quite sort of grown worthy and uh yeah. and, and van damme's way too over the top in it and it, it, it and yeah it just doesn't really work it's it's nothing special at all so oh that's man I kind of i mean put so, it into that realm i mean <laughs> I, no spoilers here because you know what you expect to happen it happens so when van, <laughs> when, when van damme dies at the end gets killed off uh he he starts laughing, you know. Uh, uh, men, oh, I can't even say the word. He's 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 laughing so much, and he goes, "I knew it. Petrol was going to get me in the end." You're like, yeah. <sighs> boom, boom. Yeah, no, oh. it, yeah. It was kind of, and of course, I haven't even mentioned. You know, this is a very bloke-heavy film, mm. and there is there is one there is one. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, rather attractive uh, woman in it yeah. that uh, is set up at the beginning uh, and makes a kind of bit of a play and a bit of a come on to our forest ranger, which stupidly doesn't pick up on at all. Mm. And um, you, you know, she's supposed to go meet him for dinner before um, before Orlando Jones's character, you know, turns up and sort of scuppers the plans. But you know, it it obviously you know you you think to yourself, oh well, she had nothing to do in it. Where's the woman? You know, she's she's gone, and it obviously turns out that she's working with Van Dam, and she's a uh, she's there to distract the ranger, so they could have uh, got the uh, the drugs shipment easier and yeah. all this sort of thing. And I again, mean, it's all very obvious. And, yeah, uh, you know. I mean, there's there's, there's <laughs> this whole thing as well that uh, John Claude's character has, has done research on the ranger and everything before going there and you're like why i just yeah. you know he's he's keeps saying i'm so more intelligent than everybody well the thing is it's that simple thing isn't it show don't tell yeah. show that he's more intelligent he he makes so many stupid mistakes it's ridiculous yeah no, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's not a strong film. This at as all, much it. as we praise the lighting in his in our picks for movie heaven, the lighting in this was awful. Well, it, it had that problem that most of it is just running around the forest at night. So uh, you you know, it, it, yeah, you're right. The lighting doesn't look great at all because essentially it's just uh, you know an HMI rigged up somewhere trying to fake moonlight and um yeah it's just it just doesn't look good it looks amateurish you know yeah i think <laughs> look, i think there was too much light in it um obviously i don't know i mean he's a film guy and he's having to sort of work within the digital realm and i know some filmmakers yeah, this is shot on red isn't it was this shot on red uh, i'm I sure it was it shot on been. red alexa yeah i mean it, it's it's one of those cameras but it did look very video on what I'm watching it on Netflix. It, it you know. Oh, is it on Netflix? It's on okay. Netflix. Yes, you can watch it now. If you I, want I managed to. to get the Blu-ray for a pound, from <laughs> which I'll be taking back. Yeah, get a refund. 
<laughs> no commentary on this one either. Surprise, yeah. surprise. <laughs> yeah, this I it's uh, it's it's an awful film, and it, it, I'm thinking, would I like this film if I was like a teenager? And I was like, no, it's just so stupid, and it's just you know, again, it's that weird thing where if you imagine Tommy Lee Jones was playing that part, it might have worked a lot better. I think John Claude. I think because John Claude does straight laced a lot better than he does playing the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I I think him being the sort of very bland hero kind of works in his favour because, you know, because the 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 villain is there to chew up chew up the scenery, but he just he he can't do it. It's just it's just laughable. Yeah, no, it is. It, it was. It was. Uh, this, this. This was a groan-worthy movie, and mm. um, I'm like, oh dear, what a. You, you know, when you look at when you look at Hyam's career, you know, and he's got the likes of Capricorn One in t- 2010, and and you, you know all the other great films you mentioned, Narrow Margin, um, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and his last entry is this. It's actually quite sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's just hope he is making something else, which is a lot better than this, but I think he's just, it's like everybody else in the industry at the moment. It's unless you're in that higher tier, it's very difficult to sort of get the budgets that you used to get. So the, the, the quality is going to slip. I remember reading when I first started, uh, when I first got into sort of filmmaking, that a somebody who's used to working with a high budget cannot do a low budget film, and that's what it felt like watching this. Mm. No, that's, I think that's probably a very fair comment. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's old school, used to working with with the medium of film, and you know, with the aforementioned films, uh, has had a, a reasonable budget to work with. Um, suddenly. You know, we're in the new millennium. Uh, he's working on digital formats and and having to deal with a much lower budget. Uh, not to mention, you know, older now. You know, over seventy. You know, um, yeah, that 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 could well be. You know, if you ask the reason why, isn't this up to the quality? Um, you know, I'm sure that between budget and uh, working under a slightly different medium. Um, I've I've got you know um, resonate well, with that. I'm can sure. I can I I I don't believe well I, I don't believe it. But the budget I was thinking that there was probably maybe like like you know half a million was probably spent on this. Five million dollars was the budget. Well, yeah, you can and probably quite a lot of that went to Van Damme. Dam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah, that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. uh, it wasn't. It was that five million was certainly not on the screen. No, mm. no, it was. It was. Um, you, you know, it, it's. It's. De- I. You know, for me, it was. This was the obvious one to pick for oh, movie. Oh God, yeah, um, yeah, hell. yeah. <laughs> and it's a shame, really, because um, I, I've I saw Orlando Jones in uh, American Gods like last week, and he's mm. brilliant. He's yeah. so oh, no, good he's in a good that. Actor. And, yeah. But in this, he's just—it's just well—it's just an awful role. Mm. I haven't seen that yet. Is that worth a watch? Oh it, yes, it was launched yeah. when I was out in the states. So, See, yeah. Orlando just Orlando Jones has only has one scene in it so far, and he is amazing. Right. 
uh, beginning okay, of episode two. So, yeah, well worth watching. I mean, even the the main guy who used to be in Hollyoaks is really good in this. Okay. So, you know. All right. Well, I guess there is I'll, life I'll, after is Hollyoaks. That, is that an Amazon? Is that an Amazon show? It is. is that yeah. An Amazon show yes, or it is. Show? No, Amazon. Amazon show. But I, okay. I think it, I think it will get a. Um, it might get a DVD release. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how Amazon are with like re- releasing their stuff. But oh, it's it's worth watching. I think it's it's been good so far. And of course, um, I don't know. Sponsored by Amazon, <laughs> Amazon Prime, because they have such great shows. Uh yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't have anything <laughs> more to say about enemies closer. Uh, do you? Me neither. No, no. I, th- I think I think we should <laughs> we should keep our friends close and enemies closer, way way away, <laughs> <laughs> at arm's length. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of send it out into orbit. Uh, Indeed. Well, uh, I have to say my film the my pick for for movie hell is kind of equally well i i it's kind of in the same camp it's it's the 2005 a sound of thunder now it's based on the ray bradbury short story uh and it's got time travel in it again but uh, as with time cop which did time travel well this doesn't do it very well mm mm-hmm. mhm the short story is that uh, there's this company that do time travel safaris so that hunters can go back into the past and they can kill dinosaurs. But they time it so at the point when a dinosaur was going to die anyway. So like a, in both stories, a Tyrannosaurus Rex is about to fall into like a, a mud pit and sort of drown. Uh, they are told to sort of they they can't disturb anything because it will change the future there'll be ripples in time and of course when the hunter steps off the path kills a butterfly and of course changes the future now in the short story the future has changed instantaneously and it goes from being like we are now to a um kind of hitler type society you know nazi germany kind of society and that's that's where it ends the the hunters have come back and now they're in this new present and of course they're out of time with with the feature film they've got 90 minutes to to fill and so of course they try and put everything in so same thing happens they go into the past uh one of the hunters gets scared there's a a malfunction with one of the guns because they have this technology where the guns won't fire unless the the main guy played by edward burns um fires first and so they can't fire. So there's this whole sort of action sequence where they try and, you know, distract the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, so it won't attack them. And But also he will sort of still die in the same spot. And nothing's changed. Uh, 
the two guys who go on this hunting safari they run off and some in one of them's killed a butterfly and and of course they come back but first nothing's changed but then they have these time ripples these sort of time waves that every time it hits not only do people get knocked off and go flying but they also it, the, everything around them changes so in this future they there's no wildlife and plant life is non-existent or it's dying off and then suddenly there's these big plants and then suddenly there's these creatures these sort of baboon reptiles uh, it's all CGI so it looks shit uh, really looks awful I mean we have giant bats in this and then you have this whole thing where they have like a, a time enforcement agency you know run by the government they have one guy there but he's been paid off by you know Ben Kingsley who's who's equally wearing mad a mad hairstyle it's all white and uff and puffy isn't it yes <laughs> you know and of course he's the evil owner who you know he's just trying to make a buck out of all this you know try and make himself really rich and he just keeps talking about you know how you know he's there for money and um oh uh God, edward burns character is there you know he's his employee and he's there to make him money and it's Ah, the the dialogue in this is so on the nose; it's ridiculous. And so you have uh, Catherine McCormick as uh, the inventor of the time travel and the computer and everything, and it's her voice they hear and stuff. But she's been written out, written off the patent by you know Ben Kingsley's bad guy, and and so she helps Ed Burns to you know correct the past by. You know, finally getting back to the, to a time machine so that he she can send him back to the the time that the event happens and to to stop the butterfly being killed. It's so oh, it's it's such a it's, it's such a long film it's 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 about an hour and 40 minutes but it feels so much longer and it, yep. it is a case of there's just a lot of padding because mm-hmm. instead of sort of taking the idea of this and kind of running with it they have trying to expand it so they include characters and events and situations which are just uh, it's just painful to watch so they so once they find out about these time waves um that the 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 that their presence being changed they they try to jump back to the when it happened and try and sort of correct it but it it, it, it there's a something's wrong with the computer or the time waves of screwing things up because when it, uh, edward burns goes back he 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 goes back to American. He goes back to like America, sort of with Indians running around and stuff, and and of course then after yeah, that, very Allah Back to the Future. Three, yes, that was, yeah, it? yeah, 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 very <laughs> much so. And then um, yeah. they uh, they have to find out what happens, you know, on this trip. So they go and find. They look for 
the first the scared um guy who went on the safari and of course he didn't do it it was the, the macho guy and so they have to find him and then as they're going through this they're sort of having to fight their way through brambles and you know there's sort of all these sort of evil plants turn up which can poison people and make them go mad and then these baboon reptiles and you know with each time wave it just gets worse and worse for them you know more obstacles they have to you know they go back to the time travel place and it's it's now it's unusable they can't use anything there so uh, Catherine McCormick's character says that there's a, a particle accelerator at the university works and it should be working so they have to fight their way to there and you know there's a group of them that gets picked off one by one and there's a whole bit with was it giant bats they're being chased by uh-huh. and yeah you're just like oh man this is ah oh, so painful and so once the end comes you're like ah oh, this is ah oh. yeah <laughs> No, I mean, I, I have to say, I hadn't seen this film. Um, you know, you, you picked it. Again, I managed to get hold of a, a copy of it uh, cheap, and um, I hadn't seen it. And I thought to myself, initially I thought to myself, well, you know, what, what what's there not to like with this in terms of, you know, it's a sci-fi travel film. It's got, you know, Edward Burns, Catherine McCormick, Ben Kingsley in this Um you, you, you know, it deals with dinosaurs. It comes from a Ray Bradbury short story. You, you know, I, I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, this this has got all the sort of ticks in the box that this could actually be pretty good. Um, yeah, what we end up with is just, uh, yeah, pain, painfully awful, actually. Um, I mean, first of all, you, you know, the, the, the effects in this, we're not talking uh, Jurassic Park cgi effects we're talking sort of primeval tv series (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) um cgi dinosaurs and and, you know weird hybrid creatures like you said kind of baboons mixed with with dinosaurs mixed with reptile you know all this sort of weird shit can i say i i actually went and watched the uh ray bradbury presents short of this the effects the effects in that were better than this film and that was on a TV really? budget in oh the eighties. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I remember those from from way back. But wow, okay. Um, so I didn't realise it had been adapted before. Yes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. But I mean, yeah, you know, nothing. Absolutely nothing in this worked because, no. you know, it looked it looked pretty awful. Um, like you said, CG and. Uh, and Peter Himes, I don't think, really work great together. <laughs> um, one of the things as well is we were talking about the, you know, in Time Cop, I was kind of criticising, like, the the, the the depiction of the future in terms of the cars and whatever. But again, in this, we have what are obviously green screen oh. backdrops uh, oh. of, a, of a future Chicago oh. in 2055. God. I, 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 I know the shot you're talking about where... Ed Burns and uh, one of the, the, the group of, um, I guess, tour guides or, you know, safari hunt, you know, they're walking along and it's so painfully clear it's green screen. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it is it is awful. It look, it look, this, this film looks terrible. I mean, it, it doesn't live up to its the imagination 
behind it, if you know what I mean. And uh, again, I mean, the, the actual, you can, you can tell the source material story was good because the whole idea about rich time tourists that, 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 you know, kind of do this for sport. And then the whole idea of the, the corporation again, you know, you know, um, sort of, uh, you know, trying to use this for profit and not putting the safety filters in and, you know, all, all of that stuff, you, you know, kind of works in theory, just, just isn't captured well. And of course, you know, you get the, you get this, this group going back. Some of the, you know, the acting is pretty hammy in this from, the, from, from the tourists and stuff. And, uh, you know, you obviously you get the guy that, that, that treads on the butterfly and literally causes the butterfly effect and, yeah. and all, yeah. all of this to set it up. But it, I, the thing I couldn't believe, not only, you know, were the production values and, and the sense of the story um, actually kind of ridiculous in this adaptation, but the other thing I couldn't believe was, you know, Ben Kingsley, Oscar-winning actor, you know, the guy who played Gandhi, for God's sake, yeah? I couldn't believe how utterly bad he was in this. I mean, it was terrible. Yeah, I think this is the, the phase of Ben Kingsley's career where he would literally do anything. Yeah. Because oh, I, I, well, I, I know he's done UA Bowl <laughs> films as well, or a UA Bowl right. film, you know, and it, you clearly do those for the money. I mean... Yeah. I mean, he. I, I, well, I guess. I, think he, I, I guess think he did with this. Yeah, yeah. I know he, he. He seems to get cast as the bad guy a lot these days. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, all, all those days. Yeah. Apparently, originally, um, Rennie Harlan was set to direct this with with um, Pierce Brosnan attached, oh, but okay. obviously it all got it all got shifted around. But no, I mean, I I couldn't believe how bad this was actually. There was a lot of production <laughs> problems. I mean, the. Um, there was a long delay as well with it being released and that was due to the production the original production company going bankrupt so right i i think one of the reasons why the effects are really bad in it was that they you know they didn't put the money into the effects they had to you know finish them with whatever which it looked like some kid with a laptop has done it i don't know no, it just I mean, no, it just it, looked it did, painful yeah. i mean yeah they they didn't but, have but it, they didn't have the money to to sort of to do the effects properly in this but it but it's not only the effects that let this down i mean the actual the 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 performances uh the the, the scripts it's kind of everything was pretty bad with this like yeah. like you know that the whole you know we, we we all get the the time paradox stuff and obviously you know ray bradbury's short story had set that you, you know yeah. up but that the, the whole because again again it was all too Oh, you know the the world's now practically destroyed and and is and is absolutely covered in vegetation. Yeah, and the 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 the, the, the time equipment and everything is 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 all destroyed and gone. But you know there might be this particle accelerator thing at the at the university if we can get to it if we can get past the flying bats and and all of that crap. Yeah, <laughs> and then but then you get there and it's it's just like. You know, it's all really unbelievable, and of course, they, they, they've got that other bit of jeopardy that if 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 he doesn't get back and talk to his his future self, and and he ends up not resetting the timeline, that they won't even remember that the timeline's been changed. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll it's... be stuck in that sort of awful dystopian, overgrown 
future well, well and what mankind's going to get wiped out anyway and turned into sort of a one-eyed neanderthal <laughs> monster or whatever it's supposed to be and and um yeah it's it, oh it's just bad it's just awful <laughs> yeah the, the 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 thing was that they uh when ed Byrne goes back he says to her well how can we tell ourselves this happened because you know if i just stop it we're just doomed to do it again and I'm not mm. quite sure how he does it. It's some sort of videotape or video of devices, That's right. I think. Yeah, yeah. That that girl. That there's a girl that records every jump, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, but the... but the thing is, he just sort of, uh, you know, ah, uh, uh, I don't know what he does. I the, the, he doesn't have enough time to say, oh, this is really bad. Oh no, he says something about the filters are off or something. And then yeah. he disappears. Yeah. And he's like... Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's really weird because if you look at his... You know, there are two picks for, for Hell, which are, you know, 2005, 2013. Um, you, you know, in both areas, he, he's, he's, done, he's done sci-fi thriller before, he's mm. done action adventure before, and he's done, done them very well. Um, but, you know, you look at this where, again, we're dealing with on this i mean this is of a even though it doesn't work it's of quite a grand scale yeah. uh using you know a lot of cgi and stuff whereas obviously enemies closer is is more contained and more traditional but it's funny how ne- neither of them look good or or work well at all from yeah. a guy that's as as you said had this sort of wonderful um pedigree uh, as, as a filmmaker, you know, spanning back to the seventies, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just. It, this is again, uh, you know, I thought to myself, how bad's this really going to be? You picked it for hell, but how bad is it actually going to be? And uh, yeah, sure enough, it, it it was pretty bloody terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was really awful. <laughs> so, and, well, I mean, I suffer. Yeah. I think the fact is, comes down to the story. I mean, there are ways of expanding a short story. I mean, the the prime example is Shawshank Redemption. Yes. It, it it plays that out very well, but it creates mm. a whole sort of story around the short. It isn't just the short, which in this is that's what it feels like. It feels like a short story that's it's been expanded to ninety minutes, which could have been quite you mm. know nicely told within thirty minutes. It does. I mean, as I say, the the episode of Ray Bradbury presents of a sound of thunder is so much better than the film which probably mm. had 10 times the budget wow okay yeah no i, I need to check out that episode because i used to like those back in the day but um but yeah um th- yeah th- th- this is this is definitely a another stinker from yeah yeah <laughs> from him and uh yeah it, it just looks bad and 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 just doesn't work despite you know an interesting I mean, I think thematically this is very interesting. Yes. I just think oh, yeah, that yeah. the execution of it is is not. <laughs> it's not well done so. at all. Yeah. No. no. And, and and the thing as well was the whole point of the short story was there's no going back <laughs> once you disrupt the timeline. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, they Hollywoodized it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, 
but you know he he he, he didn't even capture the sense of, of tension that you were supposed to have oh there was no tension the at all going back it was there was none there at all no it it, it was just flat yeah and uh, it just felt bad it felt like everybody was just sort of having a laugh with it really it just d- did not did yeah, not work I, and, I, uh, I don't think they were even having a laugh they just I think they're just very you know I don't think anybody was that invested in it I mean it, it's interesting no. from a point of view that it was an early role for uh, David Oella have I said that right who oh he, yes, yes yeah who's since gone on to be yeah, yeah very very acclaimed yeah indeed <laughs> You know, and he was he was much better in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. You know, yes. he's he, he's yeah. You know, I guess early role. You're working with a a well known director or an older director, and you know, I I didn't I don't think he had much time to shine really. You know, he was the first one to get picked off, which is a trope in itself. Yeah. You know, the black guy gets killed first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah. I'm sure it's not his proudest bit of work by any means. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, you know, it's good that everybody's sort of gone on to to, to bigger and better things since this. But sadly, uh, it seems that poor old Peter Hyams has kind of gone the other way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. Is that any good? It, it, to be fair, it's not great. It's okay. It's better than this. Um, it's better than Enemies Closer. Um, but it, it, it's not, considering the people involved in it, it's it's not uh, it's not amazing. It has a bit of a TV movie feel about it, to be to be honest. So it, it does kind of sound like he's a director that's sort of on the, is waning at the end of his uh, career. Because, you know... He, if you like it or not like his films they 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 are sort of consistently good but i think once you get up i mean i haven't seen the musketeer i don't know if that's any good but a sound of thunder it's definitely seems to be the point where his work starts to get not very not very good yeah yeah no i i agree i mean uh, i've not seen the musketeer either end of days would have been the last one mm. that i saw before doing the the, the, the catch-up and watching you know sound of thunder beyond a reasonable doubt and enemies closer yeah um and most of the stuff he'd done up until that point was was fairly enjoyable um and, and of a fairly good standard end of days is enjoyable i mean it's you know it's it's a it's an out there story but it, it does it well and it's enjoyable for most part. I mean, it is it is Schwarzenegger versus the devil, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's from that point of view, it's quite fun. Yeah, I mean, I haven't rewatched Sudden Death, but um, I'm pretty certain that even though Sudden Death isn't great, it, it, it isn't as bad as like these two we've just talked about by yeah. by any means. Um, and uh, you know, you know, all those other ones, as we've said, the Presidio narrow margin running scared um absolutely excellent films capricorn yeah. one you know amazing 2010 yeah. so yeah you know there's, there's there's plenty in there um which 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 are good and hey, at least he's had a career yeah <laughs> so yeah it's good <laughs> yeah i mean i was gonna say i'm not a big fan of capricorn one i kind of i like most of it but uh yeah not uh, it's not one of those films i go back and watch often you know often I mean, well, like, the, tr- the, tr- yeah. the trouble is, it's it's one of those um, 
films that was uh, in, um, uh, you know, Fox's or Universal's film library, whereby uh, I seem to remember an episode of The Four Guy, um, you know, ended up <laughs> basing the story around the action sequences. So you had footage oh, from yeah, Capricorn yeah. 1 used in, in this, this episode of, Poor guy with sort of close-ups of Lee Majors dressed very similar okay. and stuff, <laughs> which which kind of always slightly ruins the original film when, when well, that happens. I don't you know. know. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds like a, actually quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, no, uh, but you know, he, he has had a good career. Um, he's been one of those people we've always sort of, uh, you know, touchstoned on, sort of. Uh, you know as we were growing up and becoming interested in in filmmaking and possibly you know even though he's done a lot of stuff possibly not obvious to everyone um who he is and what films he's done because there's been a, a fair amount of variety here yeah yeah and uh yeah i say for the most part quite quite enjoyable you know they're 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 always sort of stories that that flow quite well don't overstay their welcome you know, it, it stuff you can just watch and you know rewatch. I mean, I've I've seen twenty ten more times than I've seen two thousand one. All right, okay, interesting. I'm not saying yeah. it's a better film, but for me, it's kind of like a guilty pleasure. I quite, you know, I quite enjoy it. And yeah. there's some sequence, there's some great sequences in it. I mean, the bit with yeah. John Lithgow and the the uh, the Russian when they go over to the Discovery and it's spinning and stuff. That's really well done. You know, no, it's a that, great sequence. Yeah, no, that absolutely. really holds up stuff. But uh, yeah, it's sort of you know if this is the thing, I I, I wouldn't say go and check out his work because you probably have seen it already. You probably you'd certainly seen one of these films. I know Hanover Street used to be on TV every bank holiday, so yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, he, he's he's worked you know over his career as well. He's worked with some really um some really good actors. Yeah. Um. And, and uh, well-known yeah, you know, ones, yeah. And well-known ones, absolutely. Yeah. So, so there you go. I, there you I, go. I, I don't know whether I've got much more to add about Peter Hyams. I think, uh, I think uh, we've, we've come to the end of this episode. Uh, so let's end it in our usual manner. Uh, so, Keith, where can we find your work? Yeah, if you go on to YouTube and put in British Isles, spell E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, um, You'll see some short films there that I've written, produced, and directed on zero budget. Um, and uh, uh, if you want to see other things I've worked on, sort of past, present, future, then as we're talking about time, um, check out my name on IMDb. And as always, you can uh, find my work at uh, independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Just search uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, please leave us a review and a rating on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. It all helps. And I, I see we've we've had a couple more, so that's good. Keep up the good work. Keep leaving those uh, reviews and ratings up for us. We do appreciate it. And, uh, yes, join us for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. I could get used to this. I think it's too late for a life of crime. I think we should just cruise down to Florida in style. <laughs> no, no. 
No. Uh, all right. Out of here. Bye. Let's see what Julio's got in his music library. It all looks the same. Yaka, 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 yaka. Let's see this guy. 